Welcome to the Five Tool Firefighter Podcast. My name is Nick Higgins, firefighter and author of the Five Tool Firefighter book. Each week, we bring you an inspiring message or person to help you become the best version of yourself you could be. This journey is for the long haul, not the short. Now let's start our journey to becoming the best version of ourselves we could be. And welcome to another episode of the Five Tool Firefighter. Today's episode, I have a special guest, Bill Dungy of Six Feet and the Wedge. Bill, welcome. Yes, sir. Uh, first of all, thank you for the invitation. Uh, your prowess on the internet is uh, not lost on me. So I appreciate the opportunity to be sitting in front of you and talking to you about this kind of stuff. I appreciate it. And I appreciate what you're doing for the fire service and what you're doing for people overall. And that's part of the premise of, of the book, Five Tool Firefighter. And it's also what attracts me to what you do and why I follow you religiously and uh, <laughs> updated on all my, what I'm doing because uh, like-minded people like to stick together. So I figured I'd have you on and we could talk about your mission and what you're up to and, and what got you started. So um, before we get into all your, all your work and everything you're doing, let's tell the people out there who you are. Sure. Easy enough. Uh, you know, actually, I figured you're going to ask some variation of like the tell me a little bit about yourself kind of question. And right now, as a total aside, I'm doing this uh, uh, yoga instructor program. And one of the first things they did was this whole like, uh, if somebody asks you who you are, how do you answer and what parts of yourself are you going to offer? But here's the way I'll break it down for you. Like just, you know, plain and simple. Uh, I'm a dad. I'm a business owner. I'm a volunteer firefighter based out of uh, Ontario, Canada. Uh, for people in Canada, I'm in Brantford, Ontario, Canada. And I am trying to cement as deeply as I possibly can formal resiliency training into the Canadian Fire Service. That's something we don't see a lot of or hear about resiliency training. We don't yeah, see a lot I think, of American fire service. Yeah, I mean, it was certainly, I wouldn't say necessarily missing from my recruit experience. Like it was touched on kind of thing, but the overarching theme was basically, we hope you figure it out through service. And I'm trying to approach it more from the angle of, hey, this is a core skill that we can actually train like the same way we're out there throwing ladders and running hose and stuff. This is something we can train actively uh, with like tools to measure whether or not we're hitting the mark. And uh, you know, it's kind of uh, you're going to have to stop me, bro, by the way, like I'm a talker by trade here. Okay. So you're going to have to interrupt and say, okay, Bill, that's enough. But I have uh uh, an article, I, I write quite a bit about this kind of stuff. Um, it's just uh, the way that I can articulate myself the best is through writing, because I can like go back and make sure what I said is exactly the way I wanted to say it. But uh, I have a article coming out in December in Firehouse Magazine about the volunteer fire service and resiliency training and how there's a weird thing that happens for volunteers maybe specifically because the pager 
the, the tone drops on the pager. We go out to the call. And, you know, if it's one of those capital B air quote bad calls, and you're lucky enough to have some supports in place, like they can call SISM or, you know, there's some peers that you can reach out to or something like that. That's all fine and well. But at the end of the day, you know, the example that I used in this uh, article that's coming up, we had a tone for a plane crash. And this is, you know, a little bit after I got out of my uh, recruit training and uh, I was first into it. We went and did what we had to do. And it was, you know, the call went pretty good, all things considering. And we did a debriefing after. And then 30 minutes after that, I was reading Harry Potter to my kid. And like, there's this weird, you know, you got to jump from firefighter to father and back again. And, you know, up until very, very recently, there wasn't a whole lot of like formal, here's what you can do about that type of uh, training available, you know? I absolutely agree. I mean, it's um, a lot of stuff here in New Jersey. They, they're starting to do more of the resiliency mental health training within the, the fire one program that we call here in, in New Jersey for firefighters um, to help them with coping with the stigma behind the mental health and how to deal with, um, with bad calls, quote unquote. And um, I'm, I'm proud to be part of the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation as an advocate in New Jersey. Um, this is not a plug for them at all, but um, we go out and we do training. We do talk about stress first aid and we talk about other things, taking care of your own to help firefighters of all mm -hmm. kinds to deal with what's going on in, in the everyday life of a firefighter. And, you know, I've had an example talking about, talking about the plane crash a few years ago in my department, we had a, a car fire and in the car fire were, were victims. They didn't make it out. And we had a relatively new firefighter on. And I, I said to him after I gave it a little bit of time, not, not immediately after, but I gave it a couple weeks. And I pulled him aside and I said, hey, how are you doing? He goes, I'm well, what's going on? I said, no, no, how, how are you feeling? Are you okay? He's like, about what? I said, the call we had you know, a few weeks ago. Are you doing okay? I don't want to you know, dive deep, but I just want to make sure you're doing well. He said, why wouldn't I be? It's part of the job. We're supposed to experience this stuff and just forget about it. And he walked away. And I went, I went to another, I went to a, an officer and I said, you know, I don't think this guy's doing so well. Uh, needless to say, he's not, he's not a firefighter anymore for other reasons. Um, nothing bad, nothing bad. He decided to go on and do other stuff in his career. But just the reaction alone was, I'm fine. Nothing wrong. But you start to see that there's a resiliency training that was missing. There was something that wasn't really provided to him when he went through recruit school, when he went through different things, he didn't have that. And he just thought I just have to be tough about it. Yeah. But you could see on a few other calls after that, there were things where he's like, I'm not comfortable doing this. I'm not comfortable doing that. I mean, he was the driver for a fire and he, he looked at me and he said, I can't drive this engine. I'm sorry, but I cannot do it. I'm not an officer senior firefighter, but he looked at me, I was, want me to take over. The lieutenant said, yeah, it's right drive. He couldn't do it. So I'm not comfortable doing this. And, you know, it spoke on it later on. He said, you know, life's in my hands, getting there, establishing a water supply, providing you water. And it was something that I wasn't capable or comfortable to do, even though I've been trained in it. Um, that was 
something that I felt was honorable to say. Yeah. I'm not comfortable. But you could see that there's resiliency training that is missing a lot because there's for different reasons. So anyway, getting back to you. Um, what brought it on? What brought on this mission with the personal development, the resiliency? Was it just that call or was it a, a lot no. of things? So I guess that's been a theme for me for like the last uh, six or seven years, probably even more than that. Now it's basically since my kid was born, my, when my kid was born, it like shook up everything for me, <laughs> you know, in like the best possible way. But uh, you know, I used to be a much bigger dude. I lost a whole whack of weight and that, uh, that triggered uh, a series, almost like a cascade of positive changes. And then I figured, I figured out, luckily I figured out that the more you seek opportunities to develop, the better you get as a whole. And so then it just became this like, well, how good can I get? Like, what more can I do? Like, how sharp can you possibly get? I've, I've actually went through a similar, when I had my first son, um, I've always been a fit guy, relatively in shape, played sports, uh, semi-professionally and everything else, collegiately. And, um, when my first son was born, I have a daughter on the way. Um, I decided to take my training into a different realm. And what can I do with myself to, it's not about me anymore. It's about them. I mean, you say yeah. that with the fire service, it's not about me. It's about the people I work with and the people I serve and everything else. But at the end of the day, it's who you're coming home to. It's yeah. the people that, that you're going to be having to answer to or not answer to if something was to happen. So you know, took it many levels. My, uh, I, I think like I used to look at my kid looking at me, like he was looking at like Superman, right? And I was thinking, man, I am not Superman, but this the kid is looking at me as though I am. So it became kind of this like, hey, I got to buck up and do what I can do to fulfill the image that he holds of me. And I think, um, you know the the memes and jokes for the you know thank me for my service kind of deal uh, is one thing but on the on the other end of that or maybe the reflection of that is that there are people whether you like it or not who have this image of what a firefighter should be so like when they call your department to show up they want hitters they want hitters to show up and so I think on the back end for me, if we're going to talk about like extrinsic motivation, it's what am I expected to be and how close can I get to that expectation? You know? Yep. I, I totally agree with that. And uh, it, it's funny, a uh, little story, a friend of mine, he's a, he's a doctor He moved down to North Carolina and uh, he works with a department down there. He's one of the doctors for the department. Hmm. And he said to me, man, the fire service up in Jersey is a lot different than down in Carolina. Obviously, yeah, it makes sense. You know, different area, different, different everything, demographics, everything else. No, no. The, the health and wellness, the fitness of the firefighters. Guys up here, it seems like they're, you know, more into the fitness. And I was like, why? Wow, really? And uh, I mean, I don't necessarily agree to that statement at all. But uh, he said there's a different thing when 
working with different guys, like the older generation of how their resiliency is and what they're trying to do. And the younger generation, I mean, it's everywhere. They're all coming. Younger generations want to prove themselves. And I think now there's so many resources out there than a lot of older generations were available to at the time. So it almost puts newer firefighters on a one-up of how good they can get and how, how close they can reach their, their expectations and also reach the community's expectations. Cause it's like you said, they, they expect hitters to come out there and they, and they don't care. <laughs> yeah. They don't, they don't care what your deal is for that day. They want you to show up and put up the numbers. If you know, talking sports terms, they want you to do, do your job. You know, it's funny. You, like you say, um, about proving yourself, right? So when I got on with our, uh, volunteer department out here we had an open house at my station where all of the potential candidates were invited and just basically like a Q&A I think you know just basically like feeling everybody out and it was like okay here's this guy went to Texas this girl went to Conestoga a local community college up here for pre-service these three guys went to this pre-service and here's Bill the IT guy you know <laughs> and so like I went, I went home after that open house and I remember telling my mom, that's a rat. Like that's, it's a room full of firefighters and me. So when they called me and they were like, yeah, we want you to join up here. I, I feel, I feel locked into that mindset where I'm like, I have to prove that the chance that was taken on me. And, you know, that's something I've said uh, over and over uh, I guess it stands to uh, show here that I'm I'm attached to like phrases, right? Because phrases stick around for a reason. Some of them are cliche and, you know, cliche is kind of like jokes. There's a kernel of truth. But um, some of these phrases, you know, one of the ones that I repeat over and over and over is showing up is not enough. And I see that sometimes where people just, you know, want to dress like a firefighter and they put the uniform on and that's that they showed up. But where I come from, I'm like, man, I have to prove to everybody involved that it was worth taking a risk on this guy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I was actually teaching a class last night down at a firehouse and we were talking on the, the topic of harassment. And we went through some case studies, different types of harassment that had happened in the American Fire Service over the last few years. And I ended the day with, we all heard that, that saying, the name on the helmet is who you work for, the name on the back is who raised you, represent them well. And I, I actually, actually never heard that. That's awesome. I, I saw it in a firehouse. It was hanging right by their, by their, um, outside their, outside their uh, bay door going into the quarters. And that's what they had hanging there when you walk into the quarters living area. And, uh, I, I took a picture of it. I can't find it anymore. And I just kind of ran with it and it makes sense. You know, you have a department, a town's name on your helmet, you have it on your jacket too. You're representing that. And if you're just showing up and skating by, what are you doing? But if you're going out there and representing them and your name, that name that is, on your birth certificate and on your death certificate representing that name to the best of and highest possible standard you've done your job yeah. and that's how i look at it you know 
they're not going to remember everything you did right. They're going to remember the one thing you did wrong. Yeah. You know, that's the, I think that's the, the overarching premise here for uh, six feet, this thing I'm trying to start up six feet, the name six feet just came from uh, I run like a fight club in my basement. <laughs> oh, nice. So like we get uh, folks coming over here to train jujitsu and uh, we're just starting to learn how to box, which is a whole other thing. Like I don't speak that language, man. I keep on getting pieced up by people who do, <laughs> but uh, we train in my basement. So it's, uh, you know, we called it six feet and it's also like a memento mori type thing. Uh, a lot of the imagery surrounding what I'm doing has to do with like uh, coffins and grim reapers and stuff as a memento mori. But I think the, the theme that I'm going after here, like what I'm chasing is the idea that, you know, if showing up isn't enough, well, what should I do? And sometimes that's not super clear, right? So where I come from, or maybe I think what the unique perspective I can bring here is I can write pretty well. And so I can articulate my experience as a new guy. And uh, where I've seen or heard, let's say, uh, new people in the fire service get in and that's a wrap. And they say, you know, that's good enough kind of thing. My argument is that there's a litany of things you could be doing to develop yourself. And not only you know, going to take NFPA courses, that's the obvious one, right? Like you go and get your certifications and whatever, but wellness side, diet side, fitness side, all of the, all of the skills you have to practice that you're not practicing, you know, uh, that's, I think, so back in 2019, this is, I got, I've really got on this whole thing about like, I got to develop myself as much as I possibly can. And I'm lucky that my immediate peer group, uh, I have this like accountability thing going with them. So if I find myself, or better yet, if they find me tripping and I'm not like hitting the mark that they want me to hit, <laughs> they'll just bring that right to me straight up. You know, like perfect example is when I went for, uh, to go for the interview for this uh, fire department, uh, one of the guys in this little, uh, advisors committee that we've developed said to me straight up, I don't think you're working on this as hard as you could be working on this. You need to study more. And I, you know, the one part of me was like, Oh, like, how dare you? But then the other part was like, Hey, I need people to call me out like that. Yeah. You know? And so 2019 ish, I started putting together this challenge. If you want to call it that it started as a challenge because we're a really competitive group of friends but it's since developed into more of like a, a program, you know, something that you could run with a small group of people to get better, to make things better. And uh, I call it the wedge and uh, you among countless other people on Instagram and email inboxes have received unsolicited messages about this thing that I'm trying to do, <laughs> you know, but uh Basically, it's uh, a goal setting program, or the idea is it's a program to develop goal setting technique. Okay, so here's uh, a little data point that I can drop in about this. 
uh, there's a study done among U.S. medical students in you know some such school in the states, and it found that students who had received information about setting goals correctly, and so it's important to delineate here, we're not talking about people who had a counselor sit down with them and plot out their goals with them and figure out like their future and whatever. This is just people who received instruction on goal setting technique, ultimately downstream led to more execution than those who didn't. So my, my whole premise here is if you can learn how to set goals correctly, and I think, well, you know, we know that it's possible to set goals incorrectly because you hear somebody say, I'm going to lose weight. And you're like, well, congratulations, Rick. Like, what does that mean? You know, you have to, it's not using that like smart protocol, right? Specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time sensitive. Whole program's based on that. So we're going to pick three goals. One for your body, which means something like diet or exercise. One for your mind where we're going to learn something. You can either take a free course and there's miles of free courses that can be taken. Uh, off the top of my head, I can think of the, I think it's the national volunteer something or other council in oh, the yeah. States. Fire council. Yeah, that's it. And then there's also FEMA. There's tons of free courses yep. on FEMA. If you're in Canada, go look up emergency management, Ontario, tons of free courses there. Otherwise we're going to read something. Uh, like a book or a manual, go look up the Clackamas search manual. That's amazing. Just read that cover to cover. Lastly, we're going to pick a goal for our firecraft. So sit down for 30 seconds and think about what you're not good at when it comes to operations on the fire ground. And we're going to develop smart goals for each one of those three things, despite what you've got going on in your life, despite the drywall that needs to be patched and the different projects that your significant other has on the go and the global health crisis that we're still trying to wrap up. And we're going to hit those three goals over the period of one month. And uh, I've been running this now for firefighters on Instagram and LinkedIn and uh, in person in my station and whatnot um, toward building more aggressive work habits. You know, I'm not saying like, let's do this forever. Let's do it for 30 days. How much can you get done in 30 days? You know? You're a lot done in 30 days with the right- Tons done in 30 days. Absolutely. I mean, I read the book, um, Hard AF or 75 Hard by Andy Priscilla. Um, I read that book about doing a 75 day challenge. Uh, two, workouts, two workouts a day, uh, no alcohol, waking up early, um, eating right, everything. So I tried it. I did the, I read the whole book before I did it. So I knew what I was getting myself into. And I did that for 75 days. I did two workouts out a day. One was if I just walked around a mile or so, that's a workout, did my strength training. And I actually had a list of everything I did. I keep a book on all my workouts every single day, what I'm going to do for that day. Good. And, uh, nothing, crazy it just keeps me in track keeps me on like monday i know what i'm doing tuesday wednesday it was all the way into rest day on pretty much sunday in this one there was no rest day on sunday so i had to find something to do on sunday <laughs> so it was more just like i'm just gonna stretch and i'm just gonna do a nice walk something like that 
after the 75 days, I think everything changed. I started, I, I actually incorporated other types of things to help build resilience, help build recovery. I, I added red light therapy to my regimen, which I do like four days a week, ice showers or cold showers, I should say, sometimes doing ice baths, you know, different things that now that I did it for 75 days, now I know what I need to work on and which areas I can, um, I can do more than I need more so every week and stuff I can tailor back. And I've definitely seen a change in my mentality, in my work ethic, in my strength, and, and just honestly how I show up. And I think talking about your program, 30 days is more than enough time. 75 days was hell. 30 <laughs> days is, uh, is probably, you can, that's not gonna take someone's mind and have them wanna put it through a wall. It's gonna yeah. make them, focused on a 30 day and that's it. You do 30 days and you can tailor stuff from there. And, you know, to hear that you're taking something of your body, your mind and your craft and bringing that and saying, we're going to tighten these areas up on what you need and having them spell it out for them and hold them accountable is something that needs to be done more often. Definitely. So needs to be done more often. The program's called the wedge, right? The reason it's called the, red, the wedge, uh, so think about a wedge as like an inverted triangle, okay? So on the top plane where the first two points are, that's your mind and your body. If you can't get those two things aligned, you can't work on nothing, right? And the bottom point is our craft. So the idea being, you know, we're going to work on all three at the same time, but if you can align your body and your mind toward something, you know, uh, toward a correctly specified objective. Uh, that's when you can start working on your craft. And I think otherwise you're, you're maybe, you know, burning energy where it's misplaced, you know, if you're not trying to align first. The thing I work on with people, if, uh, you know, it's small groups, right? It's designed for like a crew, for example. Uh, so I'm usually running this with, you know, four or five people, six people, something like that. And uh, what I try to bring over the period of this uh, one month is one of these factors per week. And we look at how these factors influence the pursuit of a goal. Okay. So the four factors are time, effort, pace, and cadence. Uh, so, you know, time, obviously, like how much time do you have to spend on what you're trying to attain? What are the things that can interrupt the time that you're uh, driving toward this? And can you mitigate those things? And if you can't, what about that? Like those are considerations. Effort's pretty straightforward. That's what gets the work done. That's what separates the wishers from workers. Pace is an interesting one. Uh, pace comes with its own challenge, right? Because, you know, people who work faster win more. So the, the example that I usually use for pace is, can you take a simple task and do it faster than normal people can do it? So like take, for instance, like groceries, bro, if you want to see somebody do groceries, I can do groceries. Okay. You go in a grocery store, if you can plan ahead what you need, and then organize what you need on the piece of paper, on your phone, however you're doing it, in the order of when you're walking through the grocery store 
and then walk quickly while you're in there and you can do groceries faster than normal people can do it, you've just stolen time. You've stolen time you can use toward whatever it is you're working towards. You know, that's what we uh, tell our recruits when they first get going is uh, that being a volunteer firefighter is being in the business of stealing seconds. You know, because if it takes eight minutes for everybody to get to the hall, that's a long time. So everything else you do has to be as efficient as possible. You know, but the last step that we talk about in the final week of the wedge is cadence. Because it's all fine and well to spend time doing what you have to do quickly. But if you can't build a system where you can do that over time, well, now we're just talking about crushing things on an individual basis as fast as we can. And I'd rather have, you know, a vehicle built to do this over the long term. You know, and that's where I think a lot of folks get hung up with goal setting and programs like whatever you want to call it. The Wedge, there's, a, you know, 100 different takes out there on how to get this done. But too often people will bite off way more than they can chew. You know, and that either it, it, the outcome is one of two things. Either people go, oh, okay. So maybe this is my big goal and I need to break that down iteratively into subtasks that I can attack one at a time, or they just get crushed into submission, you know, and uh, that's the unintended consequence of working really hard. Sometimes, you know, it's about figuring out a, system of balance for yourself as well to figure out like okay if i grind super 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 hard all the time i'm just going to burn out you know so i like to think anyway that i'm i'm trying to help people understand both sides of the coin right that not only are you capable of a really aggressive work ethic but that there's room to build a system to do that over time and that isn't always just, you know, gogginsing your way through everything all the time. <laughs> we talk about that actually. Um, well, first thing, my wife actually does that when she goes to the grocery store. She sets it up by aisle from the entrance that she goes in and how she's going to go around that store. So everything on the list. So when I look at the list, we're making the list. I know when I go through the door, produce is first. And oh, I, yeah. as I'm going down the line, I'm ending up all the way at the frozen section. And I mean, she gets in and out of that place less than an hour, depending on, you know, people in there. But, oh, yeah, um, I mean, if you're going with two years now, now we're talking about tactics. Like now we can go grocery shopping. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, talking about the, the Goggins method of pretty much damn near killing yourself at times. I always... Like you're talking before we came on, we talked about fighting, big into fighting. Well, I'm a big George St. Pierre fan. He's my, probably my favorite, my favorite fighter. Uh, I don't care. It's other guys out there. He's a favorite. Um, very strategic, very tactical type of guy. And I think that also part of someone's success, we want to talk about success and accomplishing your goals, is someone who's very tacti- tactful and strategic in how he implemented his his game plan. He, nothing was done overnight. It was small steps to get to the goal. And he won two belts doing that. And who was it? A three-time welterweight champ and a one-time middleweight. 
just goes to show that as long as you have a goal and you have the right people and organized around you with the right mindset, you're, you can accomplish what you want. You need to accomplish. It won't be overnight, but you'll get there in some fashion. You know, I tell people when they first start, uh, training jujitsu and we're a uh, relatively, uh, like our lineage in jujitsu is really crushy and really like uh, uh, heavy and it's really press forward type of grappling. And I think a phrase that uh, has so much crossover to everywhere, um, a relentless force is unstoppable by definition, you know? And if you apply that to, it doesn't matter, you know, if you're working towards something and it has this, uh, this pedestal of importance in your life, but then something else spins up and you have to segregate a little bit of your attention towards this other fire to put that out. Well, as long as you keep moving forward relentlessly, you'll be unstoppable. Like that's the whole game. I think it's easy to say, but you know, harder to put into practice. I mean, like, unless you train jujitsu, then you just get it. And then it's like, oh, yeah, I just got to keep grinding here. <laughs> it's, it's true. And, uh, you know, I, I do martial arts. And when, when I do some stuff with guys who are more versed in jujitsu than me, because that's like 12 heads for me trying to understand it. I'm not that <laughs> uh, savvy on the ground, but um, they're relentless. They just keep coming at you. I'm like, stop trying to take me down. You keep wanting to go. Eventually you get me. You know, because I'm more into uh, Taekwondo, kickboxing, stand up. And when uh, these guys keep coming at me, I'm just like, oh, man, they don't stop. They don't stop. But they get their goal. And, you know, you see it. And it, there is a lot of stuff you can learn about life in jujitsu, just like, you know, Jocko talked about. And it's true. You can learn a lot about life and, and even getting through firefighting with jujitsu. I know we're going yeah, to Yeah. Oh, man. When I first started, uh, you know, like my first couple practices at the station or whatever, I could basically ID the purple belts, the brown belts. I was like, oh, you've been here. You know what's going on. Then there's like the blue belts who are still pretty new, you know, but they kind of know what's going on. Yeah, the crossover between martial arts and uh, firefighting is uh, something I'm legitimately actually thankful for. Like even just to have that perspective. Um, there is something to say about someone who does martial arts and does fire and is a firefighter they can uh i know how to suffer i'll tell you that much <laughs> <laughs> yeah real quick i um one time i was doing some grappling and i gave my backup gave my backup and i, I knew i was like this and man struggles there he's like don't tap and he's telling me what to do he's like just breathe control your breathing control, you know calm yourself down you're really amped up you're gonna you're gonna tap if you don't calm down and I took that into the area of firefighting, that concept. And we talk about breathing and different types of breathing with the fire service. And I, and I, you know, but having that, that mindset of say, relax, calm down. And I was working with another firefighter. We were teaching at the academy at the time that we both taught at. We were teaching uh, firefighter survival and we had them go through a course where they were entangled. Drop ceiling came down, they're tangled inside and how to get out. And you start seeing, like, I'm monitoring them while they're in there, they're stuck. I'm on one side of the tunnel, the other, the other truck is on the other. I'm taking the approach, I'm gonna monitor their breathing and I'm gonna see how they start reacting to it. 
And the more tangled they get, the more they start breathing, the heavier they're getting. And we all know you breathe heavier on your knees than you do standing. So I crawl in this tunnel with this guy and I'm telling him, calm down, calm down. The slower you breathe, just stop moving and think for a second. He's like, oh, my, where's the life or death? Think. And I, I, when he came out, we got him through it. I brought up that jujitsu analogy. It's someone's on top of you. I, I gave up my neck, give my back, my neck. I, he has his forearm in my neck. But I was not tapping and I was not going to get choked down. If I was going to attack, but I was going to do everything I can to get out of the hole because it wasn't locked in. And the only thing that instructor told me was breathe, calm down and breathe. Mm -hmm. And what happened when you got out of that tube? You calmed down, right? You were, he's like, it was so simple. Once I started really thinking about where I was, where my body is, how I can move in here and what I need to do to get through this entanglement. Once you think it through and not just go like a bull in a china shop, you're going to get out. You're going to, you could accomplish it. And I've been using that, that saying for a lot now, a lot of guys, when they talk about entanglements, they're just something they can't get through. Even climbing a ladder, think, calm down, just take a deep breath. Okay. Breathing does a lot. All right. I'm going to drop something on you right now. Okay. This is something you can take with you. You can teach recruits about it. It applies to jujitsu, applies to fire. It's brand new research. Have you ever heard of the physiological sigh? No. Okay. Physiological sigh is a breathing technique. And this is taught most often for the purposes of resiliency, because you can use this immediately before you know you're about to interact with a traumatic scene when you're in the middle of a traumatic scene or when you're coming down from a traumatic scene. But it's also used for instances where you know you're going to interact with stress. So it doesn't have to be like, you know, air quote, traumatic scene as much as it's stress. So things like entanglements, things like you just got your back taken and, you know, you got to start bringing it down a little bit. Okay, so you're going to take two sharp inhales with your nose, and you're going to completely fill your lungs when you do that. And then a complete exhale with your mouth, so much so that you can feel your lungs kind of squeeze all the air out, right? So it's going to sound like this. And if you do three to five repetitions of that, here's the kicker. That's the way we breathe right before we fall asleep. It's also the way we breathe when we're crying. So if you breathe like that, your brain's not smart enough to know that like, oh, this guy's trying to trick me into calming down. When you breathe like that, your brain goes, I am relaxed. And so you will naturally start to decompress if you. <sighs> so when we have, uh, you know, when I'm uh, doing the uh, instruction thing with our new recruits, I say, you know, for your first couple calls, when you get off the truck, do a couple physiological size, just a couple to get your brain to go. It's all good. I'm trained. I know what I'm doing. It's no different. If you're about to start rolling with somebody, you know, I went to a tournament one time and they like call you out by weight division. So I go out and like, bah, bah. I'm like, I'll stretch in, you know, uh, like rotating my shoulders and whatever. And the guy across from me comes in the same weight category. This guy is diced up. 
Like he's just like a UFC poster, this guy looked like. And I, I remember distinctly like my heart dropped and I was like, oh, there's like, we're not even the same thing here. And that's when I could have used it. Like now, you know, in hindsight, that's, I could have just dropped a couple of those, calm down. It's all good. We're the same rank. We'll figure it out. You know, that uh, physiological side, that's a tool. See, that's one of those things that uh, in terms of like building firefighter resiliency, instead of framing the conversation around like, you know, mental health, you poor firefighters, you experience so much trauma, like nobody wants to hear that. This is a skill we can train. You could drop that breathing technique into any drill. You could say, okay, we're going to do firefighter survival. Before you go in the door, physiological sigh. And I mean, the data is there. If you look up uh, Andrew Huberman from Huberman Labs podcast, he has all the science. Okay. Like I'm not nearly smart enough to regurgitate it. But uh, as a tool, that's what you can use on and off the mats. Something, anybody listening out there, physiological side, look it up, check it out, practice it and incorporate it into your, into your toolbox, into whatever you're doing. So coming up on time here, is there anything you want to, you want to leave us with? Ah, let's see. <laughs> of the, of the accumulated phrases I have. Um, first of all, uh, I want to thank you for the opportunity to speak on here and thank you way back when you let me write an article about, uh, you know, projects that uh, new firefighters can use to get better and published it on your uh, website, the firehouse tribune.com. So I appreciate both of those opportunities. If you're looking to do some reading, head over to sixfeet.ca. I'm unabashedly and unapologetically Canadian. Uh, if you want to access the wedge, go to timeandeffort.ca. It's completely free. Just click the download button and you can print it out and run it in your firehouse. If you want to get at me on Instagram, I am at six foxtrot, S-I-X-F-O-X-T-R-O-T. And other than that, I would probably have to issue a challenge. Uh, this comes from another buddy of mine who is in that little accountability group that I'm extremely fortunate to have. He's a ERT guy with the police. And like you were saying about the banner they have over their, uh, their door in the apparatus bay or whatever, uh, they have a banner over there like gear room that says, what if everybody on the team was just like you? You know, and I think for better or worse, just like you. And I think that's something that uh, we could all do well to think about and incorporate is to try to be the team member you'd want to be that you'd want to have on your team, you know? I couldn't agree more. Well, Bill, thank you very much for coming on. It's been an honor. It's been a pleasure to sit here and talk to you about this. And uh, we'll obviously be linking up through the social webs as, as we go, like we've been doing. So with okay. that, until next time, work hard, stay safe, and live inspired.
today's episode of the Five Tool Firefighter Podcast. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please leave us a rating. And don't forget to pick up the book, The Five Tool Firefighter, available on Amazon at thefirehousetribune.com. Until next time, work hard, stay safe, and live inspired.